Lord, we, uh, we take this moment to pause and realign our thinking and, and make sure that we are focused on you. Our answers are in you. The direction you're calling us to lies in you. So we just uh, give you all these things. These are challenging times, but nothing too great for you to show off. And so, in Jesus' name, we ask you now, in this time and beyond, to show off. And we want to partner with you in that. We want to commit to partnering with you in every way possible. Because it is all about, and it has always been about, you. And so we want to make sure that you being the main thing, the main thing stays the main thing. And so we thank you, God. And so we just pray for a time of joy as we get into your word, a time of fellowship and intimacy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, can I have a volunteer? Anybody just raise your hand. You don't know what's going on. Why don't you come up, Valerie? Come on. Give Valerie a hand. Come on. Well, I was thinking this morning, and um, which can be a dangerous thing, especially when I communicate what I'm thinking. And what I want you to do, Valerie, is I want you to put these on, put them over your glasses, right? Those are prescription glasses, I'm assuming. Okay. I want you to put these on. Now, can you see outside pretty clearly? Yes. Okay, put these on for me. Is it as clear? No. No? Can you describe what you see? Blurs. Blurs? Are they now dark blurs? Really? Sunglasses don't make it darker. A little bit? Okay, now take them off. All right, now you see with clarity. Yes? All right, very good. That's it. Give a round of applause. That's it. Very simple. Well, I say this because when we have experiences in our life, okay, they, we talked a few months ago, or a, a few weeks ago, of, of our picture of God, and our experiences with God give us a picture of them right? Um, For good or for bad, we have our experiences help shape how we see God and how we see that picture of God. And um, I was thinking this morning when I was on 109th, and I call it the Holy Road, when I get between Radisson and Lexington, there is just something, and I've said this a million times, where God just speaks to me. And it was one of the most beautiful sights I had seen. The sun is so bright, and this is just a little past seven, and there is fog and mist just over the grass. And it was something to be seen. And it was so bright, I put my sunglasses on so I could see. But I was still missing something. Because as I put my sunglasses on, it got darker and I could see things. But I couldn't see it for the glory that it is. Because when I take them off, I am blinded by the sun. I am overwhelmed by the heat of the sun on my face. And so my glasses kind of modify that so I can cope, right? And I just thought, I heard the Lord say to me, take a moment, just pause and take a moment. So I pulled over and I took my sunglasses off and I was just like this. And it was so bright on my face. And it was so overwhelming, I began to cry. And so I felt the Lord tell me, to tell you this morning as we get into this, pause and take a moment. Let all those experiences that have shaped you, whether it be bitterness, whether this or that, 
whether it be fear, all that. Let, that. let that down for just a minute and pause and look at him. Now, as we get into uh, the message this morning, keep that in mind. Uh, moments where you need to pause for a second. Slow your mind down and allow yourself to take in what is happening. Not whatever our experiences fabricate in front of us, but what's actually happening. Deal? Okay. Well, uh, I appreciate Scott's heart coming up and giving the, the financial update about what's happening here at Bridgewood. It's not always an easy thing to do. Some churches handle finances really well and can talk about it over and over, and some are terrible at it. Um, and so we're in a new season, so we don't know how we're at it yet. But we, we want to engage the giving topic, but we want to do it in a way that honors the heart of God and, and not just address the issue of finances and of money. Because we can do that, but this is, this is more than money. This is about much more than money. This is about our relationship, our one-on-one and our corporate relationship with Jesus. And do we believe the promises that we hear him say? Do we believe them? Now, my grandmother's here, by the way, from California. So I'm going to say my, my family's here. And I didn't tell her this. I'm going to put her on the spot. And I'm really sorry. But one of the things I've learned from her is she's a woman that believes the promises of God. It is not a question in her mind. And I've always had a great model of that in my family, my parents, my grandparents, of believing the promises of God. And I realize how often I stray from that. And then I, I realize how often we as the church, and I'm not picking on this, it's just reality, we kind of stray from that, right? Because if we believed the promises of God in his fullness, we wouldn't be having money issues. We wouldn't be having these kind of things. Because he would have complete access to everything we are. Everything. I mean, does that make sense? Right? It makes sense to me. And so, we have to claim the promises of God as we step into this understanding of what it means to live a life of giving. And to do that, I, I, I want to I give you, a, a, build the context here. I grew up feeling very insecure about myself. For whatever reason, many things happened. But I felt really insecure. And it, it, those insecurities, the way I coped, everyone copes with them differently. I became a people pleaser. So I did what I needed to do to get what I think I needed. So I did what I needed to do to get what I thought I needed. Has anyone ever done that? Right? So let's be clear about something. I can give you all the tithing passages in Scripture. I can tell you all the places, because I wrote them down. (laughs) I can tell you where they are, and I can say, you know what? Check this out. I can point to you where they're at so you can see what kind of heart we need. I can point you that direction, or we can start from the heart that we need. Does that make sense? Tracking with me there? So we know in Genesis 28, we know Jacob's, Jacob sets the precedent about tithing. He sees all the things that God has given. He says, God, if, you, if this is you, if this is what you're like, <laughs> and you want to keep doing this, I'm going to give you a tenth 
of everything I make. I'm going to give it to you because everything I have is already yours. That's, that's where it, it really begins, that understanding of that tenth. And then we see um, in 2 Corinthians, God loves a what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. We see in 2 Corinthians 9, you know, sow richly so that you can reap richly. Right? So we, we know these things. And, and those of us um, who have just stepped into the faith, now you do. <laughs> that God says he's going to take care of these things. He, he calls us to a life of worship of giving. To give to him as a way of trusting him. So that being said, we know that. Any pastor that has done any kind of studying the Bible, hopefully all of them, can point you to passages to address giving. But I want to take a different approach this morning. I don't want, those verses are there, and we can talk after the service if, if you'd like resources for that to, to get into some of those more, and we can. But our approach is often this. I'm going to give to the Lord so I can get. I'm going to give to the Lord so I can get, right? I mean, I've done that. But I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Can you close your eyes? Just bear with me here. Bear with me. Close your eyes. And I want, to picture, I want you to picture a room. It's an empty room. You're standing, well, except for you. You're in the room, but it's completely empty. It's just you. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room. And you see just him. Just him. Not what we've made him to be, but him. Crucified and resurrected. There he stands before you. The one that stood with the woman caught in adultery and said, Neither I, do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The same, the same Jesus who, when touched by the woman bleeding, energy came out of him and entered her and healed her, and he blessed her for that. The same Jesus that breaks every natural boundary that we can think of and speaks life into those places that gives us new life. That same Jesus that took you out of the pit and your walk in life and gave you new life. That's the Jesus I want you to look at. And I want to ask you the question, is he worth it? Is he worth it? Just him. And guess what? You get just him. Is he worth it? Now, you can open your eyes, and I want you to keep that picture because we approach giving. If I give, I'm going to get. There was a, um, a, a pastor team this week that made headlines, and I'm not going to say who they are. Most people probably know, but they made a statement. There's thousands and thousands of people, and they made a statement that worship is not for God. It's for people. The sense of, it is for us. It's what we can get from God. That was the message. And I'm telling you, and God's going to work on their hearts, and maybe I'm wrong, but it's about and will always be about Him. We give because of who He is, not what we get from who He is. We give because it's Him. It's that Jesus in that room with us that breathes life and fills it. So this is where we're going to start this morning. Here's a different understanding of what it means to give. If you turn in your, your Bibles, or you can just read along, it might be easier. Matthew 4, 18, 22. 
18 through 22. And this is where we see God, Jesus call some of the, the first disciples. And he says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will... Uh, where, where am I? Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men, in other translations. At once, they left their nets and followed him. At what? Once. Immediately. God calls, and they leave what they're doing, and they follow him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, how many of you read this before? And I'm sure you found some nuggets in there. Well, if you haven't, we're going to pull out some now, because I'm telling you, what you see here is unprecedented. What you see here in this culture, in first century Palestine, Okay? In the Jewish culture especially, this is ridiculous, scandalous. A bunch of men whose family's welfare depends on what they do, dropped, without explanation, dropped what they were doing. They gave up their livelihood to follow Jesus, no questions asked. Whew. Now, this could be dangerous. I'm going to give you a little economics lesson here. A first century Galilee. Okay? This is dangerous. <laughs> but fishermen on the social status were right in the middle. They are extremely important. And what we think of oftentimes, when I, when I think about this passage, I think of fishing as a free enterprise. You can come and go as you please and own your own business, right? I mean, does anyone, are you with me on there? That's not how it was. It wasn't that way at all. Everything that they did was part of the food chain, if you will. It was part of the circle of life in Roman culture and what the Roman Empire was doing. And so here I'm going to use a little, uh, what is it, the little dot thing here? Okay, so you have, you have the emperor here. You have, you have Caesar. And Herod, who was the king of that time over the area of Galilee... He had chief tax collectors, who then there had other tax collectors. And here's the middle ground. Here's where the, the fishermen lie. Now remember, most of the disciples, about more, a little more than half of them, were probably fishermen. Okay? And look what they provide. Okay, fish and money, fish go to the, the tax collectors, go to the chief tax collectors, go to the king Herod, goes to, um, what's his name? Caesar. Okay? And this is the food. And then you have... The processors, you have the distributors, who some of the other disciples, scholars believe, were in this, this area. But most of the people were poor. And they relied on these guys. And these guys had to give fish to the tax collectors in, only to, in order to have a fishing lease. Okay? So they stop fishing, they can't renew things. If they stop this process, oops, excuse me, where did I go? I have really big thumbs, so. Um, where did my clicker go? There we go. This stops happening. Their family's in trouble because it is a family business. 
So when, it, when we see back here, when we see they were on a boat with their father Zebedee and they left him, that's huge because the whole process here relied on relationships and connections. So each person of the family had their own connections with people in this area so that they can get food to the poor people, so that they can continue to um, appease the emperor and King Herod. Okay, And so if they don't do that, they're in trouble. And if you lose one of them, you lose those connections because each person was responsible for certain connections that they make. So when we look back here and Jesus calls them, Guess what he's calling them out of? Something hard to get back in. And something that would seem to betray their family, their community. I want you to understand that. For all the faults we see of the disciples, they got some things right. They left everything, no question asked. They gave it up and they gave it because what they saw in front of them is what we should be seeing in the room is Jesus all day long Jesus they can't explain it but it was enough of a pull for them without explanation to go and leave it all they left it all all of it and then let's remember this you have Matthew who's a tax collector and if you look here tax collectors man they were hated because they took all this stuff I'm over here whoops They took all this stuff. All right, it's not working anymore. But they took all that, right? Everyone that's providing something, the tax collectors took. Matthew was one of those. And he was even worse because he was a tax collector in the Jewish community that they called a publican. And so what he would do is he he would extort money from everybody. And he was seen from his people in his community as a traitor and as the scum of the earth. And now you're putting him with fishermen who he takes from. So Jesus calls, and they give all that up, and they give up probably the anger. I'm sure they had to work stuff out. But they give it up to follow Jesus. Is that clear? Am I making that clear enough? Okay. They gave it all up, everything. They gave it up for the kingdom. They gave it up for the kingdom. When we look at at Matthew 6 here, we talk about treasure. We see here, do not store up yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your what is? Your heart. Let me say that again. For where your treasure is, There is your heart. It doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. It says where your treasure is, is where your heart is. Where your treasure is, where your heart is. And I can tell you for a fact that my treasure in life has not always been Jesus. Because my heart followed other paths. Because I wanted other things. Because I needed to get something. Because I felt so insecure and I felt, you know, that I needed something other than Jesus. And it wasn't until I was in my my late teens, early 20s that I realized Jesus fulfilled every need and every need I could ever have. And so now when we talk about giving, when we talk about giving to him everything, we have to ask the question, what's your treasure? 
Because we sit here and we profess Jesus with our lips. That's great. But that's what we call lip service. People want to see it modeled. People want to know that when we say Jesus, we look like Jesus. We act like Jesus. We respond like Jesus. Because Jesus is our treasure. And because he's our treasure, our heart is always with him. John 15, abide. Right? Remain in me. To abide, he has to be our treasure because where our treasure is, our heart is. And if, if that's the case and Jesus is our treasure and our heart's with him, then we're abiding in him. If we want to be used for God's kingdom purposes, to build God's kingdom, we have to come to a place where when we're casting our nets and Jesus says, come follow me, we drop our nets and we go follow him. And that's challenging because we look at our checkbooks, we look at our clocks, we look at our relationships, and we're like, How I, I don't have this. But guess what? He has all things. When he sends the disciples out on their trial run, he sends about two by two with nothing. How do you think that made these guys feel? First off, we're going to do stuff we haven't done before. And then we're going to do it without bringing anything. That says to me, Jesus provides all things, whether we feel the pinch of that or not, doesn't matter because it's true. And that goes back to our previous question, do we believe the promises of God? Because after this verse... And Matthew 6, Matthew continues and goes on and says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and serve money. And you can fill money in with whatever you want, whatever it is that takes you away from who God is. But you can't serve both. It's either one or the other. And then he follows that up by saying, therefore, that's a key word, because of all this, do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. I've got it. Look, at I provide everything out here, and I love you so much. I value you so much. You don't have to worry about anything. And if you don't believe that, you have a value problem. You don't understand your value. You don't see that you're value. You don't see that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Because if you knew that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, you'd believe the promises of God because he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and I will provide all things for you. I'm going to, now we're going to pause, and we're going to take notice, and I'm going to say this to you. If you are dealing with self-worth, I can't make eye contact with everyone, but just picture I'm making eye contact with you. You are priceless and so valuable. It would be ridiculous for me to try and put that into words. I can't. So you're going to have to trust me on it because I trust him, and he says, you, you are priceless. Okay, so deep breath again, and we're going to get back in this. So we see his disciples give up everything. There's only one person, one disciple there that didn't give up everything to go. Does anyone know who that is? Judas, right? Judas was asked to be the treasurer. Jesus asked him to be a treasurer, so he's functioning what he does, and he is so concerned about money's and financial security that 
He lost everything because of it. Now, I've, I've been in those shoes. I've walked in that insecurity. And I am telling you, it does exactly what it did to, to Judas. And it separates you from Jesus. And man, do you feel guilty afterwards. This guy felt so guilty, so distraught because... He betrayed the innocent one, Scripture says. He betrayed Jesus, and he hung himself because he sold his soul for money. Because he was so insecure, he couldn't see what was right in front of him until it was too late. And let me tell you, the disciples were not with him because of what they would get. They weren't. And we'll see that in a minute. That may have been how it started, but that's not how it finished. Because when it came to the garden, when it came to how distraught they were when they lost Jesus, they thought they lost Jesus, it was because they thought they lost Jesus. The, the man that they walked with, the man that they had fellowship with, the man that they fell in love with, not so much the salvation, it was, and that's great, and that's important, and that's vital, don't, don't get me wrong, but it was about the relationship they had with Jesus, and it wasn't Judas in that moment going, Oh, no, I'm not going to heaven. It was, oh, no, I betrayed the one I love. That's a different story. It wasn't about, even in that moment, it wasn't about what he would get. It was about what he lost. That was so pure and innocent is the words Judas lost. It was what he lost, not what he would get. And are we willing to lose that? Because we're afraid. It's a question we have to ask. Mark 10, we have the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, says, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus asks him a series of questions about what he obeys and this and that. And he says, he says Master, Lord, Rabbi, Good Shepherd, I've, I've done all those things. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. First off, Jesus knows what he's going to do. So that the fact that he says Jesus looked at him and he loved him, even in the midst of what this man was about to do, walk away from? That's significant. That says to me, no matter what sins we commit, the love never stops. So again, I say to you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. No matter what decisions that you have made, the love and the value that God has for you never stops. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The same invitation he gave to the disciples. And the man's face fell. He went away because he had great wealth. The false security we find in things that are not Jesus is astounding to me. It's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. Now, Jesus says after this how hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God and how hard it is for anybody to go into the kingdom of God because our, our hearts are split. And this is, what, this is what the disciples are shocked about what he's saying because they're feeling like, well, if it's so hard, then we're in trouble. <laughs> now, this, this is for your peace of mind, all you who are our concern, listen to this, this is about the promises of God. The disciples are even more amazed at all the things he was saying 
So they said to each other, who can be saved then? If it's that hard, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, which you have to begin to believe, especially when we look at our checkbooks, especially when we look at our calendars, we're trying to take time and make time. And it seems impossible. All things are possible. So Peter spoke up, as he so often does. We have left everything to follow you. How much more? We've left everything. And as we saw earlier, they left everything. And it probably wouldn't be a warm welcome home if they returned. And Jesus says these wonderful words. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And Jesus says this, how much more? I'm going to give you a hundred times more, because you did exactly what I wanted you to do. They said, how much more can we give? We've left everything. And he's saying, then you did what I wanted you to do. I'm going to give you a hundred times more, because you left, you gave Okay? It's not just finances. They gave everything. They gave up relationships. They gave up money. They gave up social status. They gave up their, their security in order to follow the call of Jesus. They gave everything. So, when we say, and someone asks us, are you a Christian? Yeah, I gave my life to Jesus. Is that what happened? Because we, we use that phrase pretty often, don't we? I got saved, I gave my life to Christ. And I'm not saying we didn't, but what I'm in saying is we did we give him everything? Did we give him, does he have full access? Because to love, if God is love, the noun love, if he is love, the embodiment of it, everything we know of it and more, and things we'll find out in eternity, because love is so big because it is God, if we love the way he loves, then that means he has access to all we, we have because it was his first, and people do. If the great commandment is love God with all you got and love one another with all you got, in Greek, that word love doesn't change. It's the same. So what you love, how you love God and how you love people should be the same, which means that we have to give up our resources to him because he's the one that provided them. Do not be fooled that someone else gave you what you have. When we give, God builds his kingdom. That's why he loves a cheerful giver, because he can use you. He can build his kingdom through you because we get it. Everything I am and everything I have is his. Now in 2000, well, it was 2000. Back in 2000, I went to uh, Jamaica for my... Um, high school trip, and I had a good friend that was from, born and raised in Jamaica, and he was a PhD student, and his name was Neville, and Neville took me for two and a half weeks all over the island, places where I was the minority all the time, you know, and where people, I'd go up a mountain, and people would go, white man, they've never seen one, only heard about them. So he took me into these deep places that were just wonderful, and he took me to this place outside in the hills of Montego Bay. He took me to this place called Strawberry Fields, and it looked over the coast. 
It was gorgeous. And on the left was this huge mansion about, I don't know, five or six miles away, and uh, it's where UB40 lives. Does anyone know UB40? Yeah? No one. All right. Okay. And, um, and uh, we went to help Neville's friend build a hotel. Now, let me preface this. It's not a hotel like the Marriott or anything like this. It was a little two-story brick building, cinder block building. But what it would do was would bring income into that little village. And so there was a woman who lived on this land, and she lived in this little shack, and then she had a smaller shack for a kitchen. And she saw us there. And she knew what we had come to do. She knew we had come to help build this hotel that would bless everyone in the area. And so when it came lunchtime, and I can't talk about this without crying, when it came lunchtime, she took every, every grain of rice, every piece of food she had for the next week and a half or so. It was like a week and a half to two weeks, and it was on my plate. And I couldn't eat all of it, but I had to. Because she gave up everything. Everything. She's already living in poverty, and she gave away all the food she had because she, she knew something. She knew that if she fed us, then we could build this, which would feed everybody else. Now, I hope you're making the connections here. When we give everything, God can use us and will use us to build his kingdom, which breathes life into this world. That is what it means to have a heart of giving. She did not grieve the loss of her food. Oftentimes when we give, I know when I do, (laughs) I feel that tension at the beginning, and I feel good once I hand it over, and then I think about what I don't have anymore, and I'm like, yeah. Anyone else ever feel that way? That taught me something. And we're all at different places in our giving. And when it comes to money, especially, 10% is a lot of money. It's not to God. It's not to God. I, you know, when Shannon and I got married, I've always tithed. Um, but it became harder living in San Diego and not getting paid fair wages. And you're trying to make ends meet. How do you give 10% of what you have? That's a lot of money. And I remember we were in a time where um, we didn't have it. We had bills to pay. We had payments coming our way, and it wasn't because we were irresponsible. It's like we weren't making enough to live in the place we were at. And I remember we sat down in our living room, and we had, at that moment, we had about a few weeks to pay $1,500. And for some, that's not a lot. For us, that was a lot. And we sat in the living room. We said, Lord, this is what we said. We believe your promises. We believe your promises. And there's a need here. And we're not going to think about it anymore. I'm going to give it to you. I remember that. Clear as day. Sitting on the floor, crisscross applesauce, looking at each other, praying. And then we said, well, let's go walk the dogs and go to the mailbox. And so we did. And I come back, and I've got a letter from my friend from here. Great man of God. And it's one of those letters that's, you know, folded in threes. And I don't like reading that much, so I just do one at a time so I don't get overwhelmed with how much I have to read. And just go, nap. I'm too lazy. And as I, each, each um, part, section that I opened, something dropped out, didn't pay attention to it really. And then, and then my friend said this, the Lord spoke to me 
and said, you needed this, I don't know why. But everything, everything I have is his. Everything. And I look down, and there's a check for $1,500 to the penny. Now, that's just one little testimony, and all of you, I'm sure, have some. Money's nothing. You can't see the security of the future because it's in the future. But you can see your security in Jesus, so your future is secured. Look, we're in a tough place financially here. We are. Not going to lie. We're in a tough place. And we as a community have to press in to what God wants to do. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to mince words. And, and myself included, I now give, uh, you know, God's got us to the point where we give at least 10%. And we do it willingly. And then anything else he wants to do out of that. But 10% is not touched. And we've disciplined ourselves into doing that. And it's a hard discipline. I have never, never missed a payment. I have never been left wanting because God has always provided. He's taken some of us to the brink. But as we trust, he provides. And it's more than just about money because it's about time. It's about relationship. And we put the value on those things. But he already puts the value. He says, it's of no value because in me, there is everything. So as you're casting your nets this week and he says, come follow me, are you going to drop them and follow him? Because all day long, it's about Jesus. All day long. And I want to I leave you with these, these last words. It was, it's from one of my favorite songs. And um, I think Jeremy Camp sings it, those of you that know Jeremy Camp. But he says to the world, you can have all this world. You can have everything I have. You have it all. Just give me Jesus. That's all I want is Jesus. Is he and he alone your treasure? Because if he is, that's where your heart will be. And he will provide everything. So let's be generous. And I'm not talking about just the bridge. I'm talking about to everybody. This is more than just... Bridgewood's finances. This is about how we live our lives. Again, I can point to you to tithing stuff, but it's beyond that. Beyond that. We want to hit the condition of the heart, and if our heart is not pointed towards Jesus, if our heart is not where his is, then we, we've got some soul-searching to do. We've got some healing that needs to be done so we can get to that, because really, those who carry the name of Jesus Christ should be the most generous people you've ever met on the planet. And I can't say I'm that way yet. But I'm working on it. And we got to do it together. We got to do it together because God partners with his people. He partners with his people. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. And um, I'm blown away by your, just your love and your grace. And um, there's not really much more I can say that wouldn't be doing you a disservice, Lord, but we just ask that you would help us rise up as the body of believers to live generous lives and that go beyond just money. I mean, money's part of it, but it's all an act of how we trust. It's all an act of worship because it is about you. It's not about just us and us wanting to be happy. 
and you just care about our happiness. Lord, you care about your kingdom. You care about us, but you want us in partnership with you. You want us to see you in your fullness and your glory, and that's what we want to see, Lord. We want to see you in your fullness. I want to see only you, only you, only you. That's all I want to see so that I can give out of what you've given me. Time, energy, money, whatever it may be, whatever you ask, any time, any place, Lord, it's yours because we are yours. And so, Lord, our finances here, we give that to you in Jesus' name. We trust you. So we're not going to worry about it. We're going to continue to be obedient and walk in your love and grace. And we're going to walk in your promises because we believe your promises. So I ask, as we take the tithes and offering this morning, that you would bless it, that you would bless it consistently week in and week out, Lord, because, uh, because of the hearts that you've given us for your name. And we do it cheerfully. We do it gladly. Far greater to lose money than to lose you. And so we thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We pray a blessing. Bless this offering in this time of worship. It's all about you. In your name we pray. Amen.